Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 8, Episode 10 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. I work at a local health department in Michigan whose building is situated in the same complex as the animal shelter and the county jail. One nice warm fall day, I was particularly eager to get out of work and enjoy the sunshine. I packed up all of my stuff a minute or two early and walked out the door the second that the clock struck five. As I was heading down the sidewalk to the parking lot, a couple of animal shelter volunteers were approaching with two of the sweetest, happiest-looking pit bulls that I had ever seen. I asked if I could say hi, and the pups answered by practically licking me to death. After a brief conversation with the dogs about what good boys they were, I continued along the sidewalk toward my car with a happy little smile on my face. As I reached the edge of the parking lot, I heard someone speak in an angry tone. I glanced up from the sidewalk and noticed an agitated woman talking to herself and walking toward me from the direction of the county jail. I couldn't quite make out what she was saying, but fuck the police was the gist of it, so I assumed that she'd likely just been visiting someone at the jail or had been recently released herself and was walking towards the bus stop just up the road ahead. I hadn't planned on interacting with her, but when I looked up in her direction with my dopey I love dogs grin on my face, she decided I must be laughing at her. She started shouting at me from across the parking lot. What are you laughing at, you bitch? I ignored her and headed toward my car. Then she said, you better get into your car and lock your doors. I'm going to commit a homicide. That's when I really got scared. I didn't run, but I picked up the pace. At the time, I always left my car unlocked because the battery in the fob needed to be replaced, and I always turn the key the wrong direction when I have to unlock it manually. Thank God it wasn't locked, because the second I got in, closed the door, and hit the lock button, she was at my door. She started pounding on my window with her fist, and pulling on the door handle while continuing to shout about how she was going to commit a homicide. At this point, I hadn't spoken a word to her, but with the locked door between us, I stupidly tried to de-escalate the situation by explaining the smile that 
had somehow triggered this altercation. I spoke to her through the closed window, and as calmly as possible said, I was smiling at the dogs. By the way, the dog walkers had understandably abandoned me at this point and hightailed it back to the shelter. I'm glad they didn't try to intervene, though. Rescue dogs don't need any more trauma. My attacker continued punching my window and pulling at the door as I spoke to her. But for a moment, we made eye contact. It was then that I knew that there would be no de-escalation. Her eyes were blank. There was nothing there. I had never seen someone so angry and so empty at the same time. But I knew in my gut that it made her unpredictable. I needed to put distance between us as soon as possible. I think you can typically assume that car windows are stronger than human fists, but I wasn't taking my chances with someone this unstable. I started my car and threw it into reverse. I tried to anticipate her next move. I knew that once I backed out of the parking spot, I'd need to shift into drive as quickly as possible to keep her from getting in front of the car and blocking me into my parking space. I backed out and threw it into drive before she could even take a step. But not before she brought her fist down one last time on the hood of my car, hard enough to leave a dent. I pulled out of the parking lot and turned left onto the street, barely scanning for any other cars. Luckily, there were none. Because I had walked out of the door right at five, no one else had even made it out of the parking lot yet. If I had been thinking clearly, I would have turned right and headed straight to the police station, but all I could think about was getting home and putting whatever the hell just happened behind me. Once I reached the stoplight by the bus stop, I checked my rearview mirror for any sign of her on the sidewalk. I didn't see her, but I knew all of my coworkers would be walking out to their cars soon, and there was a chance one of them might unknowingly trigger the attacker. Shaking with adrenaline, I picked up my phone and called 911 as I glanced at the clock in my dashboard. It was 5.07. How had so much time passed? In seven minutes. I explained to the operator what had happened and gave them a description of the location. They offered to send officers to meet with me, but I told them I just wanted to go home. And I would be happy if they would just send someone to patrol the health department. I don't know if by declining to speak with an officer I inadvertently downplayed the situation, but to my knowledge no one was ever even dispatched. Luckily, I never heard about any other assaults that day, no thanks to the police. As soon as I got home I called my supervisor and told them what happened. I knew a few of the other employees were probably in the lab still, and I wanted to make sure that they were extra cautious when leaving the building. He had me submit an incident report to the division director, and a week later the whole health department received a calendar invite. It was for a mandatory workplace safety training. The training, ironically facilitated by the same cops who failed to respond to the incident, was full of toxic victim-blaming rhetoric on how not to become a victim of violent crime. Maybe I just wasn't in a place to not take this personally but it felt like they were implying that I must have done something wrong to have attracted the attacker. One such piece of advice was to make eye contact with your potential assailant. 
which was hilarious since making eye contact with my attacker was what triggered her in the first place. Their reasoning was that if someone is trying to catch you off guard, knowing that you see them will make you a less desirable target. Understandable, but hardly a one-size-fits-all approach. Maybe there is no truth to this, but while recounting the incident to my wife, I speculated about the woman's empty eyes. If my original assumption was correct and my attacker had been recently released from jail, she could have been withdrawing from drugs or alcohol. Or maybe she had been off her meds while she was locked up. In any case, the police released her while she was obviously agitated and volatile. And when an attack was called in minutes later, they couldn't even be bothered. I think their negligence might have played a bigger role in my attack than my eye contact did. A lot of things that I did to protect myself that day were precautions that I always take out of habit. I've always carried pepper spray and a self-defense keychain. I always lock my doors the second I get into my car. All of the advice you hear on true crime podcasts has become routine for me. And I know that without these behaviors, things could have gone much worse. I also know that nothing I did or didn't do makes that woman threatening to kill me my fault. To the woman who attacked me in my work parking lot, I hope you've gotten the help or whatever is going on. But let's never meet again. I am from Finland. My father's job requires him to go inside people's apartments and houses every day. He does construction and maintenance type work, and he's been doing it for over 30 years. I asked him what was the weirdest or creepiest thing that he had ever seen or experienced. He's seen some crazy stuff over the years, but this is one that he won't ever forget. He told me about a time he had an entire apartment complex to work on starting from the basement to the top floor, apartment by apartment. It was 7 a.m., and as he enters the laundry room in the basement, in the corner of the room was a strange-looking man, probably in his 40s. He had on a nice white shirt and a tie, but no shoes. He had a big green tarp in his hands, you know, the kind of Ikea bag material that we'd use to cover cars, and take as camping gear. My dad thought that it was weird, but it was none of his business, and he thought, well, people who live here do what they want, I guess. So he ignored the man, who stayed silent and quickly left after my dad came in. After having lunch at a local cafe, my dad arrives at the apartment complex, and to his surprise, it's surrounded by police cars. He goes up to an officer, and gets to ask them what's happening. The officer tells him there's been a homicide. Suddenly, my dad remembers that strange man in the basement. Apparently, some neighbors heard a commotion and screaming, so someone called the police. When they arrived, they caught the shoeless man dragging a body in a green tarp towards a large garbage bin. A few days later, when the police have cleared out and they've investigated the murder... It's time for some maintenance work. It was just a regular, ordinary apartment, but regardless, there was this uneasy feel to it. The worst part was the bathroom. 
there was dried blood caked in the bathtub. Needless to say, he finished quick and got the hell out of there. Later, he encounters a couple of the residents of the building and starts a conversation with them about what happened. One of them, a nice old lady, tells about a man who lived there with his mom. She was the one who was stabbed to death. The woman heard constant nagging and complaining from the mother through the walls. The circumstances are unknown, but they speculate that the murderer was so fed up with his mother, he stabbed her in the bathtub. So whoever killed their own mother? I sincerely hope you'll never meet my dad again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. I've always thought of myself as intuitive, and this experience proved me right. I was starting a new job at a property management office, and the owner, George, was introducing me around. Everyone seemed pretty nice as we shook hands and smiled at each other, making small talk. When I met the property manager, Leroy, he shook my hand and introduced himself, and as his hand touched mine, it was like getting zapped with an electric shock. I was horrified at how it made me feel. It was the first time I had ever touched someone and knew that they were a creep. I asked the owner if he was liked, and everyone loved him. All the tenants, all his co-workers, everyone. Time passed as we worked together, and the feelings I had towards him only intensified. He went on vacation for about a week and asked me to watch his voicemail and report any emergencies. I said, sure, I'm a team player over here. When he got back, he wanted to take me to lunch as a thank you. Eat alone in a restaurant with this man? Holy shit, no thanks. I told him no, but he persisted. We ended up getting sushi. The whole lunch, I was nervous and trying not to have my voice shake. At one point, he printed out and taped photos of an adult toy onto a huge box. It was about four feet tall and shaped like it could house a dildo. He addressed it to one of my female co-workers then placed it by her desk. I was horrified because of how embarrassing it was, but he just laughed and laughed. My co-worker that received the package was mortified. 
the owner had to do a full sexual harassment investigation and interview all of us. One day at work, I'm in need of the scanner. Leroy's computer was the only desk set up to take scans. He wasn't in, so I went over to his desk and sat down. I moved the mouse to clear the screensaver, and there was his eBay open for all to see. He was watching numerous spy cameras, like the pin-sized cameras that you can place in hidden places to film people. It freaked me right out, so I went to a co-worker's office and told her. She said he was probably spying on us. Us? I don't think so. I'm not sure how I could be more freaked out by this man, but that did it. One day I'm at work and my co-worker, the one with the adult toy box, ironically, comes up to me and tells me Leroy has been arrested. He was arrested for putting spy cameras up in his stepdaughter's bedroom and filming her, getting out of the shower and changing. He raised Kelly from when she was three, 17 at the time of the filming. He would often tell me how much he loved her and thought of her as his own. He talked about how much he loved watching her play sports and how important she was to him. He talked about her so much that I would often think to myself that he was in love with her, not his wife. The videos were discovered by Leroy's wife, Kelly's mom. She was looking for a flash drive and found one by Leroy's computer. She plugged it in, and there it was. Leroy's face placing the camera in Kelly's room. Kelly taking off her clothes and getting in the shower. Kelly coming back to the room and getting dressed. Leroy's face back in the recording to remove the camera. She and Leroy had been together for nearly Kelly's entire life. That must have been the most horrifying feeling for a mother. They also found full videos of another location, a hotel room, when he took Kelly and one of her friends on a trip. He filmed Kelly and her friend. As humans, we sometimes can't understand people's decisions, but I put myself in people's shoes as best as I can. Kelly's mom didn't call the police right away. She told him to leave and to never contact Kelly again. If he contacted her, she would call the police. What did he do? You guessed it. She called the police and he was arrested. He was in the recording, so there was no denying that. He did admit that they were for his own pleasure. Leroy went to prison. I haven't followed up on what happened to him, but I know he's out now and no longer living in the U.S. One of my friends took over the property manager job and was given Leroy's work cell phone. He came into work shortly after taking the job and told me a story. He was woken up that morning at 3 a.m. to an alert. Kelly's birthday, it said. He turned it off and rolled back over. 4 a.m., another alarm. My daughter's birthday. 5 a.m., my girl's birthday. 6 a.m., Kelly's birthday. I don't think Leroy had to worry about forgetting such an important day. What a creep. To the man who proved intuition right, let's never meet again.
a listener from Finland here. I want to tell the story that happened to me and my family during one Christmas when I was ten years old. Yes, I was about ten when this happened. My family and I had moved to a new town three hours away from our old home. My parents had already moved all of our furniture and stuff to the house while we had spent some time at our grandma's. When we arrived, I immediately started looking for the biggest room for myself. Of course, I had to share it with at least one sibling since our family was so big. But since they were so young, I decided I owned the room. I found the biggest room upstairs, next to the bathroom, and I was pretty happy since I noticed my parents had chosen one for me and my youngest brother to share it. My brother and I immediately went to explore a bit. The room had a smaller room for clothing and a door to our backyard. Our parents told us not to open it, because we didn't know how to close it properly. But I was a kid who never even listened to my parents. Once I started school in the new town, I immediately gained a lot of friends because I had a very social personality. My parents were pretty strict, so I had to sneak my friends in through the backyard door. My parents never found out that I had opened that door until one winter. It was December 15th, if I remember correctly. My birthday was coming up, and my friends kept coming over, so the back door was open most of the time. That night I had fallen asleep watching my TV, and the door was open, blowing cold wind in my face. I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, so I wouldn't have woken up unless someone was shaking me awake. Well, somebody was. I then looked over to my little brother's bed. He was supposed to be sleeping with my mom and dad. There was a man that looked identical to my dad. I was about to ask him what he was doing there, thinking that it was my dad, but my dad was shaking me awake. My dad grabbed my hand and started escorting me downstairs while I was still half asleep. But the man had started yelling at us from upstairs. Hey, give me my daughter, the man yelled in a drunken voice. My dad let go of my hand and told me to stay downstairs with my mom. This apparently drunk man kept yelling at my dad to let him see his daughter. He was sorry, and that he just wanted to say goodbye. I remember thinking that he was a complete creep, but thinking back now, I kind of feel bad. He was just some dad who had lost his daughter. Maybe I reminded him of her. I go downstairs to see my mom on her phone, seemingly calling the police. My dad was upstairs, talking to this drunk man. I occasionally hear the man yell to see me, and my dad telling the man off. I was scared and sleepy, so I don't remember much, but after a while, the police arrived. They had walked upstairs to get the man. My dad helped them to escort him out, saying thank you to the police before he turns around and looks at me, furious. Didn't I tell you to never open the door? My dad asked me in a thick accent. I, the rascal that I was, told my dad my brother was the one who opened the door, which was obviously a lie that my dad would never believe. He screamed at me before calming down and holding my shoulders. At least we saved somebody from dying of hypothermia, 
he said as he smiled, still trying to process everything. We went back to sleep pretending nothing happened. My dad had checked the door to make sure that it was closed before I went to bed. The next morning I woke up and looked outside my window right away. There were prints in the snow. You could see where someone had been crawling in. It's been years now. I still think about this story whenever I open a door. So, to the drunk man, probably missing his daughter, I understand how you feel, but I hope we never meet again. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For some context... I live in the boonies of Colorado. The majority of the landscape out here is plains, dried up rivers, and a couple of trees. It's very isolated. However, there are plenty of animals out here. Deer, coyotes, foxes, even some feral cats. Of course, with animals comes plenty of bones, most of which are deer bones, since it's the main source of food for the predators in the area. With that said, this story takes place last summer in an area called Third Bridge, which is a bridge that is rumored to be haunted. But it's mostly a hangout spot for teenagers smoking weed and partying, something I would also do occasionally. It's also a great spot to go on walks, as the landscape is very pretty. I used to take plenty of walks there, but after my most recent and last walk at Third Bridge, I'm never going there again. On the day I decided to go on my walk, it took 20 minutes to drive over there. I parked about 100 yards away from the actual bridge, as there's no actual parking lot, and I didn't want to block the road. My red car was in plain sight and stuck out like a sore thumb. It was quiet and sunny, as it normally was around that time of year. It had been around 80 degrees out, so I dressed accordingly in shorts, a t-shirt, and some beat-up tennis shoes. I got my water bottle and backpack, then started on my normal route, which followed a dried-up riverbed that had a small trail on it. Everything was normal, and I was excited to take a walk on such a beautiful day. About 15 minutes into my walk, I saw some deer bones, nothing unusual, but the way that the bones were positioned caught my interest. The legs and the ribs had been positioned into a circle, with the skull placed in the middle. At first, I brushed it off. It was probably just the work of some person that was high out of their mind. However, five minutes after that, I saw the same arrangement of bones across the riverbed facing the trail. This should have been a sign for me to turn around, but my motivation to finish my walk was stronger than my common sense. Continuing my walk, I began to see footprints, large boots solidified in the mud, 
as it had rained just a couple of days earlier. Again, nothing unusual, but it did strike me as odd since wearing heavy boots on this trail would be a bad decision since the terrain was a bit slanted. At this point, I was a bit unnerved. Would it have been just the boot prints or bones? I would have continued normally, but the combination of the two prompted me to proceed with caution. As I continued on the trail, I began to hear a rustling in the bushes and the brush around the trail. It was finally at this point that I decided I wanted to turn around. Everything that had happened up to this point was just a bit too much for me to consider it safe. As I turned around, I saw a man walking in the same direction that I had been going. He was wearing dark clothes, heavy boots that matched the prints on the trail, and a long coat that was more suitable for fall weather, and not the sunny 80-degree weather that it was on that day. Of course, I began to freak out. The bones, prints, and mysterious appearing man blocking my path, well, it made me terrified, to say the least. I tried not to show it, though, because showing that I was afraid just seemed like a bad idea. Trying to stay calm, I politely said hello and attempted to move on. The man, however, had different intentions. It's great weather we're having. It's the perfect day to be out, huh? He said. Huh, yeah, I said, my voice shaking. Have fun out here. I think I'm going to head back. It's a bit too hot for me. I stepped closer, smiling with no emotion in my eyes. Then without any emotion at all, the man says, My friends and I are having some trouble getting our ATV out of a rut. If it's not too much trouble, could you help us? We have some water and beer if you'd like to join us after we get the vehicle out. It'll be fun to have another friend. This was another red flag for me. Ah, uh, no thanks. I have some yard work that I've been putting off. At this point, I was debating whether or not I should start running when he said something that really put me over the top. I'll pay you to do it. Fifty bucks. I really didn't want to be here anymore. I started to walk back the way that I came saying goodbye as I did. As I walked past the man, I saw a large hunting knife that had been holstered on his right hip. Holy shit, I think he might try to hurt me, I thought. To my great relief, he seemed not to follow me after that. He just continued on the path. Thank God. However, this isn't the end. When I had gotten close to where I parked, maybe 150 yards away, I saw two more people standing near my car, wearing the same clothes as the man that was on the trail. Now, I'm not an intimidating person. I'm 5'1", and I don't look very muscular. There was no way in hell I'd be able to scare these people off. Frantic, I looked around for something to use to defend myself when I saw a culvert that ran under the road to the bridge. Walking as quietly as possible, I sat in the culvert. I could hear them at this point, planning out what they would do when I walked back to the car. Though it wasn't clear, I could hear them say something about taking the bitch to the spot 
I could feel myself beginning to cry, and I tried not to hyperventilate. Shaking, I checked my phone. I knew it was useless since there wasn't any service out here, but I might as well try to contact someone. To my dismay, there was no service, meaning no one to call. I waited there hoping that they would search around the area. It must have been only 15 minutes that they stayed, but to me it felt like hours. When they finally gave up the waiting game and walked away, I waited another 10 minutes before I came out of the culvert. When I did, I booked it to my car, not caring how much noise that I made. I turned on the ignition and drove faster than I ever had before. It's a miracle I didn't get pulled over. Two weeks later, I read a story in the local news about a kidnapping that had happened in that same exact area. Same people, same story. Unfortunately, it was a girl that wasn't as lucky as I was to get away, and they were found beaten within an inch of their life, with permanent injuries and broken bones. The people who took her had planned to use her body for some kind of ritual. They were found out by some deer hunters who had heard them prepping whatever they had planned to do with her. My heart breaks for her, and I wish that I could have been there to help her. As for the men, I hope they rot in jail and feel every ounce of pain that they caused. So to that cult of Third Bridge, let's not meet again. This encounter only happened about a week ago. I've never really had a story to submit until now. Let me start off by describing myself to give some context. I'm a trans man, not yet transitioned. I'm not taking hormone blockers either, so both my voice and build are still pretty feminine. I'm also 5'3", and I'm a freshman in high school. Almost every day, I take the city bus home from school, and I usually have a few friends on the bus with me. Since I live somewhere far away from my school, I have to take two buses in order to get to and from school. Therefore, I have two bus stops that I get on and off at. One of the stops that I wait at has a small bakery just a block away. So occasionally, I like to walk over to the bakery while waiting for my bus to pick me up. I like to get a little after-school pastry or sometimes a coffee. Last Wednesday, I was extremely hungry after school due to not eating lunch that day. I decided to head over to the bakery and buy something. I usually have my friend come with me, since this area of town was kind of sketchy. But my friend wasn't on the bus that day. I wasn't too worried, because I had gone to the bakery alone before. So I headed over. For more context, this bakery is pretty small. It has automatic opening front doors, and when you walk in, there's a long table. Behind that is a display of baked goods. The cashier and the other workers are all behind the display of baked goods. When I stepped into the bakery, there were two guys, both looking to be in their 20s, already in line ahead of me. I got in line behind them, and I started scanning the baked goods to see what I wanted. I did this as the men in front of me were also deciding what they wanted. One of them, let's call them Bob, 
stepped out of line and went around the table to where the front doors were. He didn't leave the building, just stood there and kept glancing awkwardly at me. I found this odd, but I just ignored it. No more than ten seconds later, Bob comes back around the table, but instead of going up to the other guy that he's with, who we'll call Jeff, Bob goes the opposite way and stands in line behind me. This sets off a big red flag in my head. Why would he get back in line? It's not like he forgot to order something, since he could just tell Jeff who was still checking out. I was now on full alert, and I still felt somewhat safe because I knew the cashier pretty well, and there were other workers behind the counter who I could ask for help if I needed. So Jeff finishes checking out everything that they ordered, and then comes around the table behind me and stands by Bob. They start whispering to each other. I glance over my shoulder to see them both looking at me, still whispering. Like I said before, I'm 5'3 and pretty scrawny. Both of these guys look to be about 5'10. Bob is pretty muscular looking. I kind of rush forward to where the register is and tell the cashier what I want. I know I should have gotten out of there and headed back to the bus stop, but I was stupid and hungry. As the cashier was putting my food in a box and ringing me up, I noticed that Bob and Jeff were right by the front doors again, still whispering and glancing over at me. I couldn't hear what they were saying, and this really bothered me. The cashier came back to the register with my food, and I inserted my card into the machine, keeping my ears open for Jeff and Bob behind me. I removed my card and told the cashier to have a nice day. I turned around, and Jeff comes up to me. He clears his throat a few times before asking, Hey, do you mind asking the cashier for a fork? I forgot to ask for one. This is extremely weird. I tell him no, and that he should ask for himself because I have to catch my bus. A confused and almost angry look crosses his face, and he asks, Wait, you ride the city bus? I thought you were like 11 years old or something. Your face looks really young, and so does your body. I'm starting to panic now. The guy is acting very strange, and I need to get out of here. But Bob was still at the front door, literally blocking it. Thank God, the cashier noticed the strange behavior, because she asked, Excuse me, sir, is there anything else I can help you with? Jeff looks at her with disgust and says that he'd like a fork. She gives it to him, and then he gives me a look, saying, You need to leave. I quickly walk over to the door, and just managed to step around Bob and leave the building. Now I'd like to say that this was the end of the story, but it is not. The next day, as my friends and I were waiting at the bus stop after school for the bus to come pick us up, I hear someone walking towards us and I look up from my phone to see Jeff. This creepy fucker must have figured out that this was my stop, since it's the closest to the bakery. I began to panic, because me and my friends are the only people at the stop. There's no one around who can help us. I texted my friend since I didn't want to warn her out loud about the creepy guy who's standing just a few feet away, acting like he's waiting for a bus as well. 
but I see him now staring at us. She sees the text and glances at me. Slightly alarmed, but trying not to show it. As if on cue, Jeff starts talking to us, asking things like, So where do you girls go to school? And you girls do seem young to be riding the big ol' city bus. This asshole, he thinks I'm a girl. If there are two things I hate most in the world, it's creepy guys talking to me and being misgendered. I wanted to tell him off and say that I'm a boy, but I didn't even want to talk to him, and neither did my friend, so we just stood there and ignored him. He then walked over in front of us and waved his hand in our faces. Hello, anybody home? I'm talking to you girls. We both laughed nervously. Why does he keep putting emphasis on the word girls? He then asks a question that will haunt me for the rest of my days. So, since you're such big girls then, and you can ride the city bus all by yourselves, why don't you come over to my apartment and you can chill with me and my roommate? We could just hang out and watch movies. I also got a good stash of beer if you're interested. The blood drained from both mine and my friend's faces. This guy was actually trying to abduct us. I was assuming that his roommate was Bob, the guy from yesterday, but I definitely didn't want to find out. We both instantly said no, and he got that confused and slightly angry look on his face. Then, a miracle occurred. The bus rounded the corner and pulled up to the stop. Me and my friend quickly rushed onto the bus without saying anything to Jeff. As we sat down at the front of the bus, nearest to the driver that we could, I saw Jeff get on the back of the bus and sit down. He was far away, but I could still see him in my peripheral vision, staring at us. When the bus pulled up to the next stop, I quickly rushed up to the driver and I told him about Jeff. The driver nodded at me and told me and my friend to stay where we were at the front of the bus and that he would order the man to get off the bus then report him to the officials back at the transportation office. I thanked him and sat back down with my friend, filling her in on what the bus driver had told me. The next stop came and the bus driver got on the intercom. He politely told Jeff to get off. He reluctantly got off, glaring at the bus driver's decision before glancing at me one last time. The bus drove away, leaving Jeff stranded at the stop and the driver asked if we were okay. We said yes and we thanked him for handling the situation. I don't know whatever happened to Jeff or his roommate. I never saw Jeff or Bob at that bus stop or bakery again. I hope they're rotting in jail somewhere. So to the creepy asshole and his roommate who tried to abduct me and my friend, let's never meet again. When I was in my third year of college, one of my sorority sisters was getting married, and my school, my home, and her wedding all took place in deep rural East Texas. This means there were a lot of country roads, back roads, woods, and just a few country folk in between. GPS was still relatively new, so I was very lucky to borrow my dad's GPS for the event. I'm driving myself and three freshman gal pals to the wedding. During the day, I was fine. 
The GPS took us down a few back roads and a rocky, gravelly area that was less than ideal for my low-riding sedan. I told the others that we would leave the wedding on a different road. That one sucked. We got to the wedding. We had a good time. And then it was time to go. It was dark. Not much light since it's a rural area. No city, no street lights. We start one direction, and I realize it's not getting us anywhere that we want to be. The GPS had died, and I was driving to try and find a county road number or something that I recognized. I called my dad in desperation. He helped me, and I finally found a road that I recognized and started on our way, hopefully home. However, I quickly realized that while I'm on the right road, I'm not going in the right direction, so I needed to turn around. Now, I assumed that I could turn around in a random driveway. I had done it a lot of times, so had my parents, so I really didn't think anything of it when I pulled into what I thought was a circle drive. I panic as there are some people that start to leave the house of the parking area we pulled into when they see us driving in. We're too far in now. It's dark, it's late, and there's no telling what they're thinking. No sooner had I pulled in and spotted the people, had I realized that it's not a circle drive, and someone is now closing the gate behind my car so I can't drive away. Then a man walks up to the window and I start to roll it down to explain that we're just lost. When I see that he's pointing a pistol at my passenger window, he motions for me to roll down the window. Feeling trapped, I did. He asks me what we're doing there, and I answer honestly, saying that we were lost. We're just trying to turn around. He gets upset and says something about us trespassing and vandalizing his property. I shakily reply that we're lost again. We don't know who is destroying your property. It's not us. We're just lost. The man who closed the gate was nearby with a mother and a child now. The gunman, still upset, rambling about someone trespassing and destroying his things. The passenger and I reassure him that we had just come from a wedding. We're lost. We just wanted to turn around and go home. We were so lucky that the woman was there. My friends and I suspect that she was probably the only one that wasn't inebriated. She told the man to let us go. We weren't doing anything wrong. The gate opens and we don't question it. We just gas it out of their driveway. My dad was on the phone with me the entire time. When we explained what happened and made it home, he was mad. He asked if I could point out where so that he could see if this guy liked having a gun pointed in their face. I'll never forget it. That was the first time anything like that had ever happened to me out in the boonies. I don't turn in residential homes anymore, just churches or gas stations, things like that. Occasionally, I still pass by the place where it happened, and thank God, we all made it out okay. I kind of wish that my dad did go out there and teach them a lesson, but I'll forever be grateful for that woman. To the drunk man that accused four well-dressed ladies of destroying his property and pointed a gun at my young friend's face, 
Let's not meet. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Don't forget, if you're looking for your dose of the true paranormal or supernatural, head over to oddtrails.com to check out the new episode of my other podcast, Odd Trails, or look for it wherever you get your podcasts. This week you have heard, I'm Going to Commit a Homicide by Nicole, The Nagging Mom by Essie, Leroy by a listener that asked to remain anonymous, A Drunk Man Crawls Into My Room by Greta, Encounters with a Cult by Lou, Jeff and Bob by Kai, and finally, Lost and Naive by Mindy. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. And as always, if you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And if you'd like to have your story, if you've already submitted one, considered for the TV show, make sure you send me an email at letsnotmeettv at gmail.com so I can go back to that episode and take a look at it. Just make sure you reference the episode it was included and I'll check it out for you. If you want to get access to the ad-free extended version of this week's episode and much more, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe. This story, I honestly had forgotten until I was about five seasons into your podcast. Before then, I was thanking my lucky...